Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 116 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Pika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And an exciting news, I guess, for the Premier Pod, but kind of sad news for both, the, both of us and the teams that we support. We have an all-English Champions League final. Yes, once again, the second time in three seasons. If you don't remember 2019, where our first season of the Premier Pod, we had Tottenham face Liverpool in the Champions League final. And oddly enough, in the Europa League, we had Chelsea versus Arsenal. And this year, we could actually have an all-English Europa League final, depending on the results on Thursday, where it looks like Manchester United will probably get to the final, fingers crossed. But Arsenal have a chance to also get back to the Europa League final as well. So then we could have a an all-English Europa League and Champions League final. But confirmed, we have City... Manchester City versus Chelsea in the UEFA Champions League. It is going to be a really exciting game. I really hope it's not boring like the Tottenham-Liverpool one. It might be because both Ooh. these teams really know each other. They they really know each other because they play each other all the time. But I'm hoping it's a very exciting game. But man, Chelsea, they have a way of firing their manager midseason and somehow making it to the Champions League final. Because if you don't remember... Not too long ago, Roberto Di Matteo took them to the Champions League final when they sacked Ancelotti, I believe, in the middle of the season, and they ended up winning it. Um, I believe it was against Bayern, right? When Drogba scored like yeah. that dramatic winner, or mm-hmm. scored the dramatic equalizer, and then they won it in penalties. Um, so this one, obviously, they had Lampard, sacked him in the middle of the season, brought Tuchel in, and Tuchel has like, completely transformed this team into playing like one of the best teams in Europe right now. From the defensive stability that they've gotten, Conte being revolutionized and playing like old Conte now that he's on uh, like away from Lampard's regime, Pulisic playing well, Kai Havertz was amazing against Real Madrid, and Timo Werner. I know we've made a lot of conversation about him being a flop, but he has been involving himself a lot lately in the goals. He may be missing a lot of like sitters, but he is contributing a lot in terms of always making those runs, always assisting, getting um. You know, just being in the right position. Um, but man, Chelsea look like a completely new team under Tuchel. And then under City, you have Pep Guardiola, who finally makes it to his first final since, I think, the last time he won it for Barcelona, uh, mm-hmm. which was, was that t- 2012 or 2011? Like, under Pep, yeah. Under yeah. Pep, it was... 2011. Yeah, so it's literally been that long, and he's finally been able to make it back to the Champions League final. But man, Tyler... Uh, all English final, but man, two teams that we just don't want to root for. <laughs> it's the grossest English final ever. I was upset <laughs> that, like, for the Premier Pod is great because yeah. it's two English teams, but for as a Liverpool fan and also for us as a United fan, one of these teams is going to now have another Champions League trophy in yeah. the cabinet, or at least in Man City's case, their first Champions League. Yeah, as trophy. a United fan, like that's like one thing we always joke about is like City never have any European glory, but man. We don't want them to get European glory. And then I for know. Chelsea, like you said, they'll get one one extra trophy in their cabinet. Like, you know, the UA, UCL, UEFA Champions mm-hmm. League trophy in their cabinet. Just from, as one of my friends, Sung Min, says, he's like, man, I kind of don't want Chelsea to win because, like, they spent so much money over the summer. And I was like, hold up. Like, every single team that was still in the Champions League at this point in the semifinals spent a ton of money. Mm. So it's like, it's just money kind of is the remaining factor for the teams in the Champions League and for the Champions League final it's going to be money versus money Russian oil money versus Middle East Saudi ri- oil era. money yeah oil money <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't know I kind of rather City win oh. because I just know more Chelsea fans 
that are friends of mine. <laughs> you that just would, want them to be disappointed. Yeah, I'd rather they have less bragging rights and less things to, you know, show off about. I mean, but Liverpool like, had the what? The five, right? The record five we had for English six. sides? Six. Six. Six for English sides. <laughs> ain't no five anymore. <laughs> but yeah, and then also I don't know really any other city fans. And it makes sense for them to win in COVID times when there's no fans at all. Because they're like, well... It was not any different. <laughs> so, yeah. And then also it would be Aguero's last game at City. So, yeah, there he, was a quote flying around that I think in 2014, he 14, said a quote yeah. that he wanted to bring a, he, before he leaves City, he wants to bring um, a Champions League title. And oddly enough, in his final season, the season he announced he will be leaving City, they are going to a Champions League final. Mm-hmm. Probably saw the same Twitter post. Yeah, <laughs> literally same. I, think, I feel like... In terms of going into this final, like we'll probably do a more detailed rundown and a later podcast about our predictions mm-hmm. on this. But I think as of right now, I, I feel like this is cities to lose. Yeah, it, it's tough though because Chelsea have been playing really well, and as we'll discuss later, they actually meet in the Premier League this weekend. So it's almost a, you know, you can't replicate the the feeling of a final uh, Champions League final match, but. Chelsea have beaten uh, Man City in a uh, cup competition in the FA Cup. They knocked them out. So Chelsea have been a very dangerous team this entire season under Tuchel, um, especially on the counterattack. So we'll see. I, I don't know. We'll see. It'll, it'll be exciting. But I really hope that this uh, this final kind of lives up to good expectations because, as I said, in uh, 2019, that, that final was not very fun. Uh, it was not a very good Whoa. watch as a neutral because Tottenham barely attacked that game. <laughs> that was one of the best finals in Champions League history. I mean, after after the Real Madrid one, you guys were definitely <laughs> it was definitely well deserved after the Real Madrid loss from that season before. It was definitely one of the ugliest victories I've ever seen in a final. But I didn't care. I was just like, we got the freaking trophy, and then we stopped Tottenham from getting it too, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> oh my goodness! So yeah, I'll take it all day. Yeah. I'll, but as Tyler mentioned, we'll kind of have a more detailed uh, uh, kind of preview matchup for it. But it's going to be exciting. Uh, Chelsea, Manchester City in the uh, the Champions League final. But going into this weekend, um, there's a lot of news that was circulating mm-hmm. um, throughout England as a whole. Um, first of all, there was the protest that happened at Old Trafford over the Glazer ownership. But also, um, we failed to mention this last week because there was just so much other news going on. But uh, across the UK and other certain media outlets in the US, um, in the Premier League, they actually participated in a, I would say, four-day long or weekend-long social media blackout um, in their fights to stop racism or put a shine a, a bigger light on the problems with racism in um, soccer. And basically all sport, all the Premier League teams, I think all teams across England um, from all, all tiers and divisions and the Premier League account, the Sky Sports football account, NBC Sports soccer account on the US side, all participated in a social media blackout where they did not post anything for those four or five days. And it was really, really interesting because... Um, I guess I, I didn't realize the over-reliance I used social media to like keep up with the news in terms of Premier League and seeing what's going on because it was very interesting not seeing any of the news, uh, any team news, nothing like coming from these accounts or from the league account or anything. But obviously the bigger message was to fight um, against racism. And obviously this act alone isn't going to completely eliminate racism. It's not a be-all, fix-all type of solution, but... It does. Uh, it does cast a light on it, and it shows how powerful 
this can be if everyone kind of comes together to kind of stop um, stop this. And um, a lot of, um, I would say, light has been shown on social media companies to do a little bit of a better job in terms of monitoring um, which accounts can get verified to be on social media. So I know a lot of players have been calling for um, all accounts to kind of be backed by an actual person. It actually has to be a legitimate it, it has to be verified by an actual person behind the screen. It can't just be a bunch of fake accounts and fake emails and such behind these accounts because um, it is very, if you ever go through and look through some of what are the Premier League players, what they share in terms of the uh, the violence in words that they receive from supporters and other people alike in their DMs or across social media, it's kind of, uh, it's pretty disturbing for sure. Um, I know you've seen other Liverpool players. I mean, I've seen Manchester United players talk about um, the racist messages they receive in their DMs, but also just even a player that has a poor game, they'll get like death threats. Um, people potentially like, you know, I would say death threats, but also um, putting words out there that they'll do something to their families, destroy their homes, you know, break into their homes or do whatever. And it's a, it's pretty disturbing. And uh, Tyler, I know you've, uh, you've probably seen it for Liverpool with Loris Karius and other Liverpool players that have made mistakes before as well mm-hmm. like no one's really protected from it like it's a racism problem but also it kind of extends beyond that where i feel like it's people behind the scenes you know cyberbullying. that's mm-hmm. a key term that's you know, kind of thrown around but it's, it's true literally people just they can hide behind this little screen of theirs and they can just say whatever they want like there's definitely been death threats to like jordan pickford from liverpool fans for enjoying van dyke there's been a ton for like dejan lovren for the multitude of errors that he's made throughout the past seasons like yeah. he's been one of the more targeted i know, I know son i know son recently um has been attacked for i think some you might united fans attacked him for his dive against united but he's been under threats on social media as well by some people um saying very racist uh, uh messaging towards uh hyun min son for tottenham mm-hmm. so it's kind of like to go back on like the racism part of this it's just I still feel like one of the key things like we've mentioned before is just I don't know if these kind of movements like, you know, the blackout, things like that will actually put out the right message. And even like Wilfred Zaha, like he stopped taking the knee at the kickoffs because he's just saying he's like, it's not working, like nothing's really changing. And even for the blackout, too, I didn't even realize myself personally that there was even a blackout going on. Mm -hmm. I was just. Like, I only knew because I was watching coverage on the game and they're like, oh, there's a social media blackout going on. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that it was happening. So I feel like if I didn't know, I feel like a lot of people also wouldn't have known. And also there wasn't really too much movement or change that happened from this. It's like kind of all kind of little steps, but I don't know if it's really, really changing anything. I feel like for a big change for this to happen, it's going to be really slow. Just needs more education on just telling people what is right and what is wrong from like a young age because you know if you think about it a good chunk of these are just kids like you know eight years old 12 years old that just harness the internet at a super young age of no empathy no education and they're like you know they Mm -hmm. can say whatever they want yeah think about it if you go on xbox live some of like the craziest messages you get are from like 10 year olds (laughs) i'm like i'm like you can say that how do you even know this stuff yeah it's like who's taught who taught you this like where'd you find this so I think it's just kind of getting that message out there just to educate people, just to, you know, not be like how like not to say all these hurtful things or even contemplate these kind of hurtful things to say. So 
I mean, it's it's something that is just at this point, I feel like getting more awareness of, which is, I guess, something like a good step. But I still feel like these kind of things, these kind of blackouts, these kind of stances are. They're not really doing too much in terms of change. I feel like there's more change and unification from like the Super League than from like just two days of that than from all these kind of attempts of, you know, making more awareness for, yeah. you know, being against racism in the yeah. Premier League at least. Yeah, and I, I have to agree with the, to a certain extent to that because I, I've seen, um, I guess for a lot of social change, the, the problem is that um, it, it does require small acts in the beginning to kind of generate that, uh, that, co- that community effort to kind of get to the bigger goal of eliminating it. But I agree that when the Super League news was happening, it was like the whole world kind of united. And like you saw all the big broadcast companies, all the big like companies that, um, that showcase the sport. You saw all the big pundits, all the former players, all, pr- all the fans, supporters, all protesting, all gathering around, all making their voices heard. And, you know, we saw even like bigger companies, even like Amazon, um, Prime Video, even going against not wanting to broadcast the Super League games. And for me, I think to fight um, racism in that same sense in the sport, we need to we need to see like the organizations like UEFA and FIFA and the big broadcast companies and all the pundits really take a stand and really put their foot down in terms of eliminating this because. I mean, we see it in UEFA. They they had the slogan. It's like a uh, kick out racism. I think that's the slogan. Um, yeah, it's cool. But then you see in I remember it was the it was a PSG game last season in the Champions League where one of the referees um, said a racial slur to one of the PSG players. And I can't I can't remember which team um, they were facing in the Champions League. I think was it Istanbul. I think it may have been Istanbul, but I don't quote me on the exact team name, but we saw something like that happen and uh, the, the punishment they received was fairly minimal. And I think it was a game in La Liga where there was a La Liga player that um, committed a racist chant towards a player on, I think it was Valencia or, excuse me if I'm getting the team wrong, but um, La Liga barely put any sanctions on the players. And we see it even in the Premier League where we see certain groups of fans, you know, yell racial slurs at certain players during a big game or when obviously when fans were allowed in the stadium during a big game or anything like that and the most they received was maybe a fine or maybe a a complete kick out of the stadium in terms of having a ban for you know a lifetime ban or something like that there needs to be a a bigger you know culmination and a bigger gathering in terms of all these big companies and all these big players in the game all coming together to kind of kick this out or imposing really really harsh punishments on anyone that do commit these acts of racism whether it be on social media or whether it's a player find them a big amount but also suspend them because unless stuff like that happens this is only going to continue happening because um you're just seeing people they can see that they can continue doing this without actually getting um any type of punishment and that's the thing and like 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 you mentioned tyler when we saw the Super League come out, everyone like gathered super hardcore to get this out. And we saw what happened. People actually listened. And I wish the same could be said for fighting um, racism in the sport or racism everywhere. It's just, it's not the same energy. It's just not there. Mm-hmm. And the worst part of it is, it's like when you saw the Super League comments, like on posts, things like that, everyone was kind of on the same page. It's like, oh yeah, this is bad. And then like for the yeah. small chunk of people that 
wasn't really aware of it or didn't really know too much about it and still thought it was like a good idea. You know, everyone kind of converges, like kind of telling them it's like, no, it's not a good idea. Like, this is why blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And just you know, blow out the list. And then for when we see instances of racism, it's still split. Yeah. It's still like you yeah. see in the comments is like, it's like, well, you shouldn't be playing. I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you still can't be like telling, like, you can't be saying like these racist chants or like saying these kind of remarks to someone just because they had a bad game. It's yeah. like, there's no justification of it at all. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the, that's the, the split that I still feel like is the main problem. It's just, we saw with the, the super league It's like, it can unite. You can unite as many people as a majority of people under one thing. But for like the racism part of it, and like trying to fix that, there's still a split, and there's yeah. still not a majority of the people. It does make that, sense. Yeah, that are kind of on the same page of being like this is not okay, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of sucks because on the internet, the small voices, like the smaller people, get a big voice because yeah. like you know when you're scrolling through Twitter, you can see like 25 positive comments, but it's just that one negative one that just screams the loudest. It's mm-hmm. just. Man, yeah, I mean, so, you can go underneath any um, team account, uh, even now, go to any team account after they lose a game and it's just a millions of people calling out players for being poor, mm-hmm. being bad. Yeah, it's okay to criticize a player on like performance. Like, yeah, you didn't think they played well, but when you're threatening them or, you know, you're backing it with racism, that's that's just when, you know, that's when Tyler mentioned it's just like these people that have, it's usually the people that have um the football players as their images is like a, a profile picture of Timo Werner yeah. or, you know, Paul Pogba or Conte, you know, putting out these racist um, remarks on social media because they have no, there's no, um, there's no punishment for them because they're all completely anonymous, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, like even I saw one for the Atlanta Hawks where it's literally yeah. the person had no followers. It was just created. And there was like a picture of Trey Young for the profile picture. And then he was making fun of Trey Young. Yeah. I was like, what the heck? Yeah, it makes no sense. There's haters out here. Yeah. There's trolls. Yeah, and I, and you know, it, it goes back to that bigger picture. It's like, what is the big act that everyone needs to do? I know um, two seasons ago, or it may have been last season before uh, COVID hit, um, Rudiger for the uh, center back for Chelsea, I think it was against Tottenham, where he heard a bunch of racist chants in the, I think it was Tottenham Stadium, mm-hmm. um, in Tottenham Stadium, where he heard a bunch of racist chants. And, I think at that point he was ready to like march off the pitch and just leave. But I think his players were kind of being like, Oh, just let's, let's stay. But I know in the PSG game, when that racist incident happened, I think Killian Mbappe actually, he led the charge of everyone walking off the pitch and not playing. And maybe that's the route they need to go. Maybe players just take a stand of like, okay, if they see this happening, they just call it a day and you know, we're going to walk off together as one team united as one. Maybe that's the cause, but, like Tyler said, I, I don't think uh, we need to see a full-on national, everyone needs to get behind this before we see legit, legitimate change of like full, full-scale change. But I'm hoping that this blackout at least starts the conversation or I wouldn't say start the conversation, but at least helps accelerate this process because as we said before, it's just a, it's a problem that just seems to always keep coming up no matter what. So... I mean, I I'll say this. Unfortunately, his, based on history, usually tragedy is what causes change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, for example, like because of like 9-11 in the U.S., like that event, that terrorism at- attack um, on the Twin Towers. That's why we have TSA and like security at all airports. And then from the pandemic, from COVID pandemic, 
now we're going to have, you know, a f- possible flexible work lifestyle instead of just always going to the office, like kind of things like that, kind of like tr- all tragedies, not really anything that was like positive that caused a change. And I feel like for even this kind of football world, the Super League, that was like its own tragedy. And that caused a change for, you know, more regulations probably to be on the owners and kind of showing that the owners should not have this much power in kind of making these kind of decisions. And I feel like for the racism part, I don't know what's, I think it's going to be, as Josh said, it's going to be, have to be a lot of small changes and kind of smaller steps because it'd be kind of bad if it was a big tragedy that would cause a positive change out of this because, you know, what kind of <laughs> racism tragedy like you, you don't you don't ever want to hope for something like that, but mm-hmm. it's gonna be really long efforts and a lot of time just to go through it like in a more positive way to cause change instead. Yeah, and but, it, that's that's a tough part because I I just don't like like we said we don't know what it should just be natural to like not do this, not be racist, yeah. you know. But it's just that's the sad thing that it's just not it's just like people are not educated enough on you know certain things and everything and um it's it's tough too because when you have players also share some of the hateful messages they receive um it still doesn't click for some people that hey this is an actual problem but i don't know we'll we'll see i mean i'm i'm hoping that like we said before that this creates uh, more change but i guess that's something that we'll just have to wait and see um and see what happens but uh along with that um probably Another bad thing that happened during the blackout was a, a match postponement of the biggest game of the weekend, which is the Manchester United Liverpool game. It's supposed to happen on Sunday, but um, before Sunday, uh, a large, 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 large groups of Manchester United fans were protesting, um, came out and protested against the Glazers' ownership of Manchester United. If you didn't know, the Glazers own uh, Manchester United, and they were protesting against their owners be- because, um, not just because of their involvement in the Super League, that was a huge proponent of it, but it's been years and years and years of um, constant, um, I would say, taking or I would say constant taking away from the club in terms of finances, but also not reinvesting enough, not being present with the fans. I I believe um, there's been the owners have, I think it's been like the owners have never done an actual press conference in front of Manchester United fans or taken any questions from the UK media since they've owned the club and they've owned the club since I believe, I think it was 2005 um, 2005, they've been owning the club and they bought the club, um, under debt money. Um, or they basically bought it under like package of debt. Like there's a better, um, article that explains it. I'm not a financial, you know, guru or financial advisor, so I can't go into full details of like how they purchased everything. But the main problem I will just tell you as a Manchester United fan, that someone that loves the club is a supporter they don't invest enough in the squad. And also they have constantly taken away and are just sucking the club dry in terms of taking away as much money as they can so they can get the higher dividends, higher payment, uh, higher payments and only focusing primarily on the commercial value of the club and not focusing too much on improving the actual on the field efforts. And that's been letting, leading to a lot of frustrations with fans because, you know, managers aren't getting the money they need to support and buying the players they need. But also... Um, they're focused too much on commercial investments, commercial investments. And overall, it's just been a, a terrible vibe at the club. Um, a lot of United fans are fed up, but a certain group of Manchester United fans actually broke into Old Trafford and 
invaded the pitch and they were lighting um, flares, stomping on the ground, breaking camera gear, um, kind of doing whatever, taking videos on the pitch at Old Trafford. It was pretty surreal seeing that. And because of that, they had to postpone uh, the Manchester United-Liverpool match. And it was a huge, um, it, caught, it caused like a huge controversy because um, unfortunately, a lot of the protests, I would say, got drowned out because everyone was kind of focusing in on the protesters that invaded the Old Trafford pitch. And that's when the cops were called and that's when things kind of got a little bit more escalated and heated. But overall, I hope the message doesn't get drowned out that United fans, we are all fed up with the Glazers' ownership. And it's just pretty appalling because the Glazers still, they're still adamant about not selling the club. They don't want to sell the club. They think they're doing a good job. And it's uh, its just frustrating to see that they, uh, they, just, they don't care, to be honest. They just don't care. They just they see United as a cash grab and as a as a way to make a ton of money, but they just they don't care about any of the traditions or anything else about the club. That protest itself was very. I I feel like it was one of the more peaceful ones in my opinion too. Yeah, where it was like no one got shot, no one got stabbed. There's nothing that was trashed, mm-hmm. and it was like the worst thing that happened really was the fans invaded and kind of decon or. Yeah, decontaminated, or no, contaminated <laughs> yeah. the pitch and also the the locker rooms apparently mm-hmm. or the changing rooms. So it's something that I was not expecting because, like you know, Yosh and I we both were going to watch the game obviously, and then all of a sudden we're just looking and seeing that the game was going to be postponed. And we we're like, "What's going on?" And you know, there's just there's like, yeah, there's a thousand people on the pitch, <laughs> <laughs> like just kids climbing on the the goalposts, climbing on the nets, you know, kicking balls around. It was kind of like a surreal kind of thing to see. But I don't know, even like these kind of little things, I don't know if the Glazers are going to sell because like you saw of Arsenal, even Kroenke's not even gone yet. And this is like a whole other situation where I believe the Glazers, they own the Buccaneers, right? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, they, they also own the uh, the Buccaneers because they're an American ownership group. Um, mm. And I it, it was interesting because one of the Glazers family, uh, one of the owners, uh, I guess one of the brothers, he was seen walking in the U.S., walking outside his, I guess, hotel room or building. And one of the reporters was asking him questions about uh, Manchester United and the protests and about his ownership and such. And he didn't answer any questions, didn't even acknowledge the reporter, just like walked directly into his car and then just drove off. Like, no, no, nothing. And it's a little frustrating because this is also the same group of owners that have never really directly addressed the fans in any type of media, um, never attended any type of media days, um, and barely show up to any of the Old Trafford games, barely show to show any support. So it's like they're completely removed from everything that goes on in the pitch. That's like opposite of like the Bucks. Yeah. Literally. They were literally there for the Super Bowl ceremony. I know. They literally won a Super Bowl. They have Tom Brady, all that. And I mean, granted, the organization hasn't been that good from the previous Super Bowl win in like 2002 and then to like last year's. So, I mean, I guess I was going to think it's like, are they bad owners for every single thing they own? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> kind of. So, I mean, maybe they're not discriminating against uh, being a bad owner for, you know, NFL and Premier League. But mm-hmm. I mean, then again, I feel like at this point, are there any uh, any new people stepping up there's like you know like a daniel x situation for united i haven't i don't really think so but yeah there hasn't been any reports of anybody anybody new coming into um come into like maybe potentially buy the club but it is uh i really hope this uh this 
protests really showed that um, the state of where United fans are with the Glazers' ownership, but also show maybe outsiders that, hey, the, these Glazers, they're, they're not good owners. And you can go back to this podcast. I remember season one, I believe it was maybe episode 10, 8. I think it was under the title like Jose Mourinho needs to go. I remember Gary Neville um, a couple of years back, he had mentioned that, yes, Jose Mourinho is a problem, but he said deep down there's something more rotten at the club that needs to go. And at that point, you know, I was starting to learn a little bit more about Glazer's ownership and Ed Woodward and such. But as, uh, as I've become more mature and learned a little bit more about United, I could definitely know, I could definitely tell why he was um, pointing out like the club has rotten in its core and it's because of the Glazer's ownership and their, I guess, inability of caring for such a great club and a club that means us so much to so many people around the world. And especially the Mancunians, the people from Manchester, um, to those people, it is uh, it 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 really it does suck to see that 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 you have owners that just do not care. They just don't care. They just all they care about is making some money, and that's it. Well, I mean, if the protest happens like this again, yeah, for the next you know game for United or even the rematch for Manchester United versus Liverpool, then based on schedule alone they actually could ruin the club because they wouldn't be able to play their games. They mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to actually get like the revenue for even, you know, the TV, uh, yeah, like TV revenue or even just, you know, being able to play out the rest of the season because like if every single pitch they go to gets found <laughs> out and then they invade the pitch, then like they literally can't play. Yeah. And, you know, even this one hiccup, from the previous, you know, game week over the past weekend where they have to reschedule the game with Manchester United versus Liverpool that already kind of screws over United's remaining schedule because like the season's going to end at the end of the month or yeah. even within the next three weeks. And that alone already has screwed up a lot of the scheduling and made it a lot harder for United, a lot harder for them to even do well consistently for the mm-hmm. remaining games. Cause it's going to be, I think yesterday I looked at it, it was like four games within yeah, like a week. Did, yeah. So, yeah it's a lot and it's not even it's gonna be you know roma and then there's also aston villa leicester and liverpool all within a week mm-hmm. and these are some key games to make sure united you know secure their second place spot in the title or in the in the table yeah but even then in the europa league you don't want to slip up any matches against you know roma because you know roma could come back you know magic things <laughs> yeah. can happen anything could Europe, happen but, yeah they have exactly. two away goals too so, I mean, anything can happen, but at the same time, it's it's a lot for United to also have this in the back of their heads too, where it's like, you don't know if they're going to play the game because it's a lot of mental preparation to even get into, you know, Manchester United versus Liverpool. But then it's like, all right, are we actually going to play this time? Yeah. Or is there going to be another protest? Are we going to have to no. play behind closed Like, this is already behind closed doors in itself. Yeah. So it's like, they're playing like a neutral site somewhere that no one else will know about. Yeah, and it also affects fitness levels too because uh, I think Solskjaer talked about it that um, he had to change up the training program after the match was postponed to make sure players were still sharp because um, even though the days rest are good to like, have those extra days of rest, you still need to make sure you're match sharp. And he was probably banking on uh, this game because he actually put out before the game was postponed, United actually did put out a very strong team. You had, I think, Fred McTominay, Pogba, Fernandez, I believe Rashford and Cavani were starting. So it was a very, very strong team. And um, it just shows that, you know, Solskjaer was kind of going for it. And I guess not to talk too much about um, bringing it too much back to the Glazers, but um, a lot of people are saying, 
oh, well, United fans are only upset about the Glazers because they suck now or they don't compete for anything. But under Fergie, there were you can go and look at pictures on Google, Fergie, Glazers ownership. And there's literally times where Fergie and Sir Alex Ferguson won the title with Manchester United, but you would see a bunch of Glazers outside and huge protests against the Glazer family. And even when they took on the club, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually put out a statement when they bought the club in like 2005 that he was kind of against it. He would he would prefer the way that it's owned now. And it's just been years and years of constant outrage and cry about the Glazer family. But now I feel like it's now reached its boiling point for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm happy that they're, you know, using their voices to hopefully make some change in the ownership of Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at this rate... There has to be change, even if they don't want it. Because yeah, it's, it's going to be so toxic. The protests are getting insane. It's Arsenal and Man U have the biggest outings for protests. And you see Tottenham's. It's just it's all <laughs> me that. It's just two people on a guitar. <laughs> but, I mean, even for Liverpool, too, there are uh, there's not as many profound, like, in terms of, like, num- sheer number. I think it was, like, 10,000 or something. Oh, they, they had people protesting over Fenway Sports Group? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. There was there weren't as extreme as United's, but I mean it's it's out there. There are people protesting on the streets, just hanging out outside Anfield, you know, kind of voicing their concerns, voicing their opinions, but it's not as insane as, you know, the other two clubs. But I feel like for this kind of scenario, I I feel like this is not even small steps at this point. This is straight up people <laughs> invading. Yeah, <laughs> this is it's huge. Um, and you know that shows like the power of the people. But you know, obviously, you got to do it within their strengths of you know abiding by the law. But you know, if they keep up the same energy, you you never know what might happen. You know, you we've seen with even with the Super League news, people will break even if they are fully committed in the time being. You never know what um, people might break in the future. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. It's unfortunate that the match got postponed. It did ruin my... It, it made me happy that people were protesting, but it did kind of ruin my Sunday because I was really looking forward to this game. Um, yeah. But we'll get it. We'll eventually get it, but uh, not not when we thought we were getting it. But um, let's hope the match still kind of lives up to expectations. But this weekend, even though that was supposed to be the biggest game, there were one, um, one little bit of news that did happen in the Premier League was Gareth Bale scoring a hat-trick um he finally scoring a hat trick i think it was first one since 2012 or it's been a while obviously because he was at real madrid but tottenham beat sheffield united 4-0 and bale got his hat trick um it was big big one for them because now i think they've still have a slim chance for top four this is a bit important win to keep, kind of pick up some momentum but gareth bale getting his hat trick is the, the story of the story of this game for sure they're five points behind chelsea in with four games remaining you know liverpool are a game behind tottenham but i feel like this is as a liverpool fan's perspective is a little bit scarier to see for the europa league spots because i still don't think liverpool are gonna get top four for certain at this point i think it's just please at least get europa league Mm -hmm. and with tottenham west ham and liverpool all kind of vying for those spots it's, it's getting a little little you know close for comfort but for me, it's it was kind of you know expected. Also, I was kind of surprised to see Delhi Alley actually get a start as well because you know came back with dreadlocks, like kind of <laughs> different hair. I was like, whoa, who's this? <laughs> but I mean, against the Sheffield side that's already been relegated, they're just playing for pride at this point. Tottenham still technically have something to play for, 
and they've been kind of somewhat rejuvenated under Ryan Mason, but I still feel like this should have been... Uh, it was a surprise to see Bale get a hat-trick, but I, I don't think it should be too surprising that Tottenham at least got came away with a win. But I still was more surprised if not the Bale hat-trick, but just Deli Ali getting some minutes. I was like, oh, he's yeah. back. It's he's been a back. while. It's, it's been, been a while. while. He did all right. He definitely was very rusty. Definitely wasn't on the same wavelength for certain certain situations. And then Sun, of course, doing doing well, scoring a cheeky finesse shot in the game. But, you know, I would say from Tottenham doing well, there was another thing that popped up in the news related to Tottenham recently. Yes. Former manager. Mourinho put his put his resume on Instagram in the past <laughs> Posting days, old like, throwback highlights of him winning stuff. <laughs> yes, literally, if you look at Mourinho's Instagram, it's just literally been the past few days, just him, you know, lifting trophies at Chelsea, lifting trophies at Real Madrid, you know, doing well at Porto, doing well at Inter Milan. And then, lo and behold, we hear Roma's manager is going to leave yeah, at the end of the season. Yeah, kind of surprised me. I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, I was like, oh, why is he? I was like, okay, he's leaving. And then it was like the next post later... Like the next day, it was Jose Mourinho to take Roma managerial position at the end of the season. It's like, oh, and now I know why he's left. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Chris Smalling, both at Roma right now, reunited. Reunited. I bet Mkhitaryan's really up. upset because this this was a this was a manager that openly player swapped you for another player. That's how bad like he did not like you. That he literally player swapped you for another player. It's gonna be. Kind of big because, you know, at least from what I know of Roma, there are some good, somewhat youth players. El Shirari is not a youth player anymore, but, mm-hmm. you know, they got like Pellegrini. It's actually the only one I really know at this point. But. <laughs> I don't, I you know, I don't watch a ton of Serie A, but Inter Milan, they did clinch the Serie A title. They won the, um, I, what did they call it? The Scudetto? Is there? Is there yeah, yeah. Scudetto. They, they won it for the first time in forever because Juventus have been the team that has always won it for the past couple of years, but Inter Milan won it. Um, it was really cool to see Lukaku win it, but it's going to be interesting. I'm actually, I might tune into some more Serie A games now because you have Jose Mourinho versus Antonio Conte now in the Serie A, but also I want to see what Jose Mourinho kind of does with Mkhitaryan and Chris Smalling, particularly Mkhitaryan because I remember when Mourinho came back to Manchester United, everyone was like, the drama was around Juan Mata because if you remember, Juan Mata was actually sold when uh, Mourinho came back for his second year at Chelsea. Um, he sold Juan Mata to Manchester United. And, you know, I would say for the most part, it seemed like Mourinho kind of, Mata kind of built back the trust with Mourinho and Mourinho gave him a fresh start. It'll be interesting to see if Mourinho gives Mkhitaryan a, uh, a fresh start because if you don't remember, when Mourinho signed Mkhitaryan, he started... The first couple games and then after that he got sent into purgatory and then came back performed really well in the Europa League I would say performed super really he was really good and then the next season after that he was a complete disaster in terms of he just was not cutting it and he player swapped him for Alexi Sanchez Mkhitaryan went to Arsenal didn't really do that much there then finally Roma got him and you know he's been at Roma ever since but yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens I I don't know I'm I might tune into more City because I want to see what Jose Mourinho does at Roma because it just might work this time it just might work he doesn't have you know a top six squad as as if you look at the table right now Roma are in seventh yeah but usually Mourinho at least more recently he's usually inherited a pretty good squad like a squad that can challenge for the title so this is be one of the first times in a while where he gets a team that's kind of outside of that 
bubble where it's like, all right, you're kind of hanging around the outside. You might have to make some some transfers. And I don't know about Roma's situation in terms of their transfer budget. budget yeah. Because usually he has a lot of money as well. And like he's inheriting like a good squad. But for Roma, they're kind of, kind of just hanging out there. Kind of they got some good players, some players that probably need to go. Mm-hmm. They got some throwback players from United's time. But it's going to be a lot different. And also, it's kind of changing in the guard, too, in Syria, where Inter Milan just won the Scudetto and Juventus with Ronaldo. They have, they, could, they, they could even not, not make the Champions League, which is crazy. Yeah, they're on the decline, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, my my guy, Andrea Pirlo, not the best season. <laughs> <laughs> He's not, not the best season. Yeah, as a manager, not, not doing too well. AC Milano doing really well. Then they completely fell off. Yeah, they fell off. Now they're fourth. And then Atalanta, you know, the other Atlanta, it's over <laughs> second place right now. They're kind of doing well. They're going to get Champions League for sure Yeah, at this rate. But, you know, it's a very tight race minus Inter Milan. But <laughs> it's going to be a pretty interesting one. Yeah, I don't I, know if I'll still watch Serie A, in my opinion, because <laughs> even with Ronaldo there, I didn't watch it. And Dybala's there too, who I style my hair from or off of. <laughs> it's like he's, he's also on the same team. I still don't watch it. So I don't know. But for it's going to be a lot interesting for the Europa League, for sure, yeah. with Roma and Jose Mourinho. And for me, I'm interested because, you know, you did mention that Tottenham and Manchester United kind of had squads that could win now. But I will say, I guess looking at it more grand scheme way, is that United and Tottenham were still, when Jose Mourinho took them, were still more of a project that he needed to complete. They weren't win now ready. In terms of United, they still had problems with their defense and the board. Tottenham, as we later found out, only could only score with Hyunmin Son and Harry Kane. No one else could score goals for them. So this one will be interesting because now it's Mourinho taking a third job in a row that is another project rebuild job or a project building job. And I don't know. I, I For some reason, I think it might work, but maybe it's just the Mourinho syndrome where it's just, you know, that scene in Arrested Development where it's like, it, you know, it never works for anyone, but it just might work for us. I don't know. I feel like it might, but I don't know if it's just me maybe believing in still the Jose Mourinho mystique, but Tyler, do you think like it's going to work or do you think it's going to be another disaster like Tottenham and he's gone after two seasons? I feel like Roma don't really have as much to lose. That's the thing too. Like they, they were all right in the past several seasons, but they had a lot stronger teams, a lot stronger players on the team. And, you know, a lot of them are starting to get a little older, like Jekyll's older you know, Manolis is not even on this team anymore. And like El Shirari, wherever he's been. <laughs> but it's just like, I don't know, it's just not the same team anymore from just back and even a few seasons ago when Roma came back Yeah, against Barca. They had like Ali Sun at that time too. So, you know, uh, they're then, pretty decent Yeah, they had team. Salah at one point. Yeah, they had Salah too. So all these kind of players are not there anymore. And there's not really a player on that team right now even that I think, oh, yeah, he's going to definitely transfer to a new team because like at one point they had uh, Under, who was now on Leicester. And I was probably like the closest bet I had for someone who can jump from a team from Roma to like a better team. And, you know, since then, I don't really see anyone that I've heard in the grapevine or in the Twitter world that is like, oh, look out for this guy on Roma. Mm-hmm. It's literally, it's just... It's just they just exist at this point, <laughs> so it's gonna be on Mourinho also to kind of make them exciting again. Yeah, because and right Mourinho's now, not known to uh, make football very exciting. Yes, so he's exciting in himself as a character, but 
in the football terms and in terms of his tactics, not the best, but I guess I would be a match in heaven for Roma because right now they're not really that interesting either. <laughs> so, so know, if you we'll if you had to take an over under on the amount of uh, years, we'll set it at two. Do you think Ooh. he goes over two years managing Roma? I I would say he goes over. Or are you taking the under? I'm gonna go over. I think he, I think. Um, I think, like you said, that there's not a super high expectation on Roma to win Scudetto or win Europa League, win Champions League, that Mourinho might, may actually get like a ton of time to actually build what he wants to build. And maybe he might be able to replicate something like Porto or something he did at um, Inter Milan when he was there. But I'm, I'm going to go over two years. I'm going to say over as well, because I feel like his resume is a little tainted right now, where it's like he yeah, it was like a triple strikeout. Fired almost. three seasons in a row. Like fired yeah. from three clubs in a row, Chelsea, Chelsea, then United, and then Tottenham. All three have fired exactly. him. And there's no way he can go back to the Premier League because yeah, unless he, he manages a team that's outside that <laughs> the European, yeah. yeah, like the, the top six, or like unless he pulls like a Carlo Ancelotti and goes for like an Everton and then he ends up like, you know, managing somewhere like Aston Villa. Yeah, he's pretty, he's like, like, he like done the ringer around the Premier League. Chelsea, exactly. Tottenham, so, and then United. I don't think he'd settle for something like that where it's a little, low, little lower. I was honestly still surprising that Ancelotti did it with Everton. But for Jose Mourinho, I think for him, I think Roma is going to be his best bet for a little bit until he starts finding success again. Because if he fails at Roma, then he just I feel like the finished. next... I don't think he'll be finished. I think he'll go to like, you know, international team like Portugal, like manage Portugal, and then go to some random Saudi Arabian league team <laughs> and then end up at like or like a chinese league team something like that something really random mm-hmm. and then he'll end up back like for a, one last good team but because like they get desperate it's like oh yeah i remember Mourinho he had he had his good days maybe he's back like you know just tinker on that a little bit but you know i i don't think beyond roma and maybe one other club after roma assuming he does well it I don't really see him kind of making that comeback. I don't think he's going to be like a Pep or like a Jurgen Klopp at this point where like there's going to be other big teams vying for him because even you saw with like the Bayern Munich gig, like he was kind of available at the same time as Nagelsmann, but then they they chose Nagelsmann. Mm-hmm. And then even for other big teams as well, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, is like who else needs a manager? Not really anyone, I guess. Yeah. Like even Juventus could have just called it quits on Pirlo. <laughs> like <laughs> get get they ruined our streak of winning the Scudetto like every single season. But yeah, you know, even the heating get called and he ended up at Roma. So yeah, and uh, no, I agree. It's just uh, it'll be sad to not see Mourinho in the Premier League anymore because he was always box yeah. office with either his uh, quotes or his uh, performances. Um, most notably, his quotes and just uh, some of the most infamous and most famous. Um, quotes you would get from Mourinho in the Premier League but I don't know we'll see what he does in uh, Serie A like I said it would be sad not to see him in the uh, Premier League anymore but um, we'll miss you Jose <laughs> yeah we'll miss you Jose <laughs> we'll miss the special one the special one is not here in the Premier League anymore mm-hmm. but uh, moving on to the preview um, uh, preview section we have some pretty decent games obviously there's one big blockbuster one um, but couple of low-key games that do have um, some big implications when it comes to the top of the table. Um, we have Leeds United versus Tottenham. Tottenham, I would say, in a must-win situation. Leeds pretty much secured uh, Premier League safety, for sure. Um, but Leeds have always been a very tough draw in the Premier League this season. And Tottenham, 
even though they did beat Sheffield United 4-0, it is Sheffield United, a team that has been the bottom dwellers of the Premier League for a very long time this season. I think Leeds will give Tottenham some trouble, so I'm going to go 1-1. All right, Leeds. <laughs> I need you to win. <laughs> <laughs> I need them to just not even win You know, 1-0. I need them to win 4-0. I need Patrick Bamford to get a hat trick. I need, you know... Stuart Dallas to come back and did what he do what he did against Man City to do to Tottenham. <laughs> I, I don't we don't need any more Ryan Mason rejuvenation in this Tottenham squad. But at the same time, this is real life. You can't just live on hope. You can't just live on the just prayers. But I think you, you have a pretty spot on with the one one. But just to make it a little different, I'm gonna go. I don't know. 2-2 two, two seems like a little too high. for. I feel like Ryan Mason, how he sets up his team is a little bit more conservative, a little bit more free-flowing in the top as well from just the few samples that we got. And Leeds so far, they haven't really scored as many goals as they have from the previous parts of the season, at least more recently. Yeah. And they actually have been a little bit more short up in the back in the more recent games as well. So it would make more sense to do a 1-1, but you know, this is wild card. I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. Okay. I you know Tottenham's been calling a lot of two twos lately, but they I, I feel like a lot of them have been coming true, which is odd. Wait, wasn't enough. it last week? I, I put one one for every single one of my predictions. <laughs> I think so, actually. I think I it was think one wrong. one <laughs> on most of them. But he did call that two two against Everton Tottenham, which was pretty cool. I would have to say. Um, but then we have Aston Villa versus Manchester United. Another big one. Um, I would say, I know this game, the postponement, I think that's going to be on United's mind, but they will have this Europa League game that they've played. I think they can go into it, go into this game and probably beat Villa. They need to win this game to keep up like their momentum in terms of finishing in second place. So I'm, I'm going to go with a, a 3-1. Um, I think they'll probably concede somehow, but as we've seen, United have a ton of firepower um, in the front line, and they always manage to score a ton of goals. So I'm going to go 3-1. So 3-1 United. I think for this game, it's going to be the start of a very tactical means of conservation of energy. Yeah. I think that's like a physics term, but <laughs> in a more literal sense, literally, they can't be putting out the same starting 11 every single game for the next yeah. four games. It's going to be so tough. I feel like they're going to have to make some sacrifices somewhere, and they're probably going to put most firepower on the Leicester and Liverpool games, which are following this one. Mm-hmm. Like I, I believe it's a rule in the Premier League where you can't just purposely, you know, load manage your team where you can't just purposely keep your best players on the bench just for load management or just in layman terms, it's just resting players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they don't get injured or like they can kind of recharge their batteries. But I guess Villa of the next few matches is one of the more weaker opponents, even though Roma's is probably like a long gone situation. But I think because of that, They'll probably go for a more conservative lineup. Maybe mm-hmm. one with not as much firepower, more defensive. Maybe more of a 1-0. Mm. Very squeaky 1-0. Hey, maybe Donny Van de Beek might get a start. Um, yes. Yeah. Hopefully. So, yeah, we'll see I'm, what he can do. I'm so salty that United got him. They don't even play him. <laughs> no, but you heck? know what? I think uh, <laughs> I, this this might be a tangent, but I think um, next season, I think we'll, we'll see a lot more Donny Van de Beek for sure because uh, I have a lot of confidence. Solskjaer... Is a is a pretty good coach, and I I don't know I have a I have a sneaky feeling that you know we'll see a lot more of Donny Van de Beek next season, and he'll be able to perform um, at a level that hopefully 
um, kind of resembles what he did at Ajax when he was there. But I, I still have faith in Donny van der Beek. He's a good player, so I'm hoping that he can come through for us. But mm-hmm. uh, So he's going 1-0 United. I'm going 3-1. But biggest game of the weekend, not the Champions League final, but a small preview or a small glimpse of what we might see in the Champions League final. We have Manchester City versus Chelsea. This game is huge, not because it's also a preview for the Champions League final, but because if Manchester City beat Chelsea, they will officially clinch and win the Premier League title um, for this season. It will be pretty historic because if they do, this will be Pep's third Premier League title um, since he's taken over Manchester City. Three Premier League titles, which is phenomenal like absolutely for three and four seasons which is crazy um so this will be a huge 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 uh game for pep because i think he'll want to clinch the title as soon as possible but um because of that i i think city will probably win i i think they they're gonna want to win it against a big team so I, i'm gonna go 2-1 uh, manchester city i also think that city they want to have some momentum going into the later half of the season because I feel like, you know, Yoshi and I have discussed it right before the podcast where we probably mentioned on a previous episode where if you're in a situation like City where you're basically going to win the title at this point, no matter what, do you kind of go more conservative in the Premier League just to build up and rest your squad for that final in the Champions League? Or mm-hmm. do you just play as if there's not that scenario and just try to win as many games out as you can for the rest of the season. And, you know, historically, I both I believe we both would say just play out the rest of the season as if you still need to win every single game because you still want to keep that momentum. Mm-hmm. And in this scenario, it's a little it's a little weird, a little peculiar because you're facing Chelsea, which is the team you're facing in the Champions League final. Do you want to play a similar style to what you're going to do in like a similar lineup that you would do in the final? Or do you do something completely different to kind of play some mind games on Tuchel? <laughs> or for Tuchel's case, you play some mind games on Pep where it's yeah. like, all right, this is how I'm going to set up my team. This is how I'm going to set up my team. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be kind of similar in the final or maybe completely different. You don't know. And I don't know. I feel like in this scenario, like that, those are the two where it's like, do you want to just test out what you're going to do in the final and see if it works? Or do you want to play something completely different and just trick them? I think that's what's going to make this game this weekend a lot more confusing in terms of predictions a lot mm-hmm. more unpredictable but i still think city will find a way just because of squad depth just to squeak maybe a one nil chelsea you really have gotten a lot better in terms of defense yeah as Tuchel came really in but good but ruben diaz, ruben diaz on, though, has been he insane. literally has made this 200 million pound team in terms of or like 200 million pound defense feel like a 200 million pound defense like before, it just seemed like a lot of expensive players on the defense, yeah. and like that was it. Yeah, this and guy under, was so good that he benched Laporte. Literally, like yes, Laporte was the best Laporte. defender, best center back. Like Ruben Diaz is already sneak peek, but he's like one of my players of the of the season so far, and if not like almost MVP because like he just re, he pulled like a Van Dyke, yeah, for this right. defense. It's insane, yeah. and that's why I feel like City could possibly squeak in the the one nil. And it'd be very position heavy for City, and then Chelsea would be more kind of counterattack. But I don't know it's gonna be a good game. It's gonna be some big mind games. Gonna see what they're gonna play out, what kind of starting eleven they're gonna have, who's gonna make that starting eleven. And for me, I think this is where City wins it. I think this is where City gets that title. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> but I will say, if you go back to the preview for this season, I actually did call a Manchester City win. So I, I, I. I previewed um in the preview episode i predicted a manchester city would win the uh, premier league title 
this season. And then I, I think I said Liverpool, and then yeah. I switched it to City <laughs> after Ben Dyke got injured for the season. I was like, all right, yeah. never mind. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Well, no, man, gonna give some cake to Yush in terms of his success, his predictions. Yeah. We can, I should put we some money back. on it. I should have put some should, money on it. Put some money on it. Get like two dollars <laughs> because probably the odds are probably so high for City to win. But yeah, I think uh, I don't know. We should. I don't think we ever usually go back to our very beginning episode for season previews to see how off yeah. we were or how close we were. But yeah. we probably should for this one. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I think I was listening to it, but it was just funny because I was like, I think City with the revenge factor, I think they could do it. And I didn't know Ruben Diaz was going to be this good. I had no idea. I'll take... I definitely roasted Ruben Diaz. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think we definitely had an episode where we were like, who is this guy? Like, Why, why did they get yeah. him? Um, but he's been amazing. And um, I both Tyler and I are both predicting that City will clinch and you know secure their Premier League title there. Uh, Third one in four seasons. almost said fourth one in three seasons. No, third one in four seasons. So a miraculous achievement for Pep Guardiola, which is, that's just complete domination. Um, even if he has all that money, that's still incredible. But yeah, mm-hmm. both predicting a city will clinch their Premier League title. But with that, um, that kind of wraps up our uh, episode 116 for us. But as we always say, you can follow us on social media at the Premier Pod. You can follow us. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. You can send us DMs or any questions you may have or any topics that you would like us to discuss for future episodes. We'll definitely for sure respond to you and get back to you. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube at the Premier Pod where you can get the video versions of this podcast if you so please. Um, and also if you're on Apple Podcasts, it would mean a lot if you could drop us a rating and also leave us a review. Um, but as we always say, if you don't want to leave a review, that's totally fine. Just taking the time out of your day to listen to us is more than enough. But if you know a friend of yours that also likes Premier League or any type of soccer um, and you feel like you want to share it, that's more than welcome as well. So giving the podcast as a share, giving the podcast a share is a great way to support us and help us in our journey um, in terms of growing the Premier Pod. But with that, that kind of wraps up Season 3, Episode 116 for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you guys. Peace. Peace.